Great to have you in worship this morning. Weren't those kids great? Let's give them a big hand again. Our kids are awesome. Those, we have about 200 uh, students, children, between uh, preschool, and they were up to grade four here today. And uh, when we are full upstairs, we have about uh, 200 children and workers. That's amazing. That doesn't count the grade fives and the grade sixes and then our junior highs as well. So God has blessed us abundantly. If you're here this morning uh, just to uh, be part of the service and you have a child or a grandchild that was uh, up front here, I just think uh, it's amazing that uh, we have the privilege to invest in their lives. And uh, you kind of look at their faces this morning and you imagine them 20 years from now and what they'll be doing and how God has impacted their lives. But we have the privilege in these moments, in these days, in these years to uh, build into their lives. So, uh, so exciting. What a privilege it is. Well, let's pray together. Would you stand with me as we pray? Lord, thank you for this morning. And uh, Lord, we want to say thank you for our children. What a blessing they are in our families. What a blessing they are in this church. Thank you for the awesome privilege to just build into their lives day by day, Sunday by Sunday, week by week, month by month. Lord, so that these, our kids, these, this, our family, will grow up to love you and know you and make a difference in our world. So, Lord, this morning, uh, as we open your word, we need you. We ask your Holy Spirit to just come afresh and anew, touch our lives, Lord. You know what each one of us needs today. You know what some of us are carrying. You know the, the challenges. You know the joys. You know the victories. So, Lord, wherever we're at today, would you just take your word and, uh, and suit it to that particular pocket in our heart where we need to hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, as we've been reminded today in the lighting of the candles, this is the fourth Sunday, Advent Sunday number four, bringing us along in our series this morning to the gift of grace. We've been, we've been talking about the, the Christmas gifts I need. There are a lot of Christmas gifts that I don't really need, but there are some gifts that I really need, and this morning is one of those gifts, the gift of grace. Now, some of you remember a standard uh, old movie plot where an actress or a dancer would receive a dozen roses after her performance, and the card is signed, uh, Secret Admirer. And the tension of the plot lay in discovering who the secret admirer was. And finally, after many weeks, uh, he reveals himself. And they go out for dinner. And they fall in love. And they get married. And they live happily ever after. Well, from the beginning of human history... We have been hungry to know who is this secret admirer, this God who made us. And there was a heart cry from us to God, and God revealed who he was 
and what he is like by sending his son. And so we get to know the secret admirer. And he comes to us in human flesh. And so that's the text this morning. Uh, If you have your Bible, uh, I'm in John chapter 1 today. John chapter 1, verses 10 to 14. I'll kind of collect the verses as we walk through here. But uh, here's the key verse. John 1, 14 in the New International Version. The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, and note these words, full of grace and truth. Now, grace is one of those marvelous words that is found in the Bible that still maintains high-level impact. It is a word that has not, through the years, lost its punch and its, uh, its meaning. What is your definition of grace? Could you agree that it might be called undeserved favor or unmerited favor? And we'll keep that thought close as we move along through these next minutes. Undeserved favor. Undeserved favor. The undeserved favor of God. Someone called grace the last best word because it still maintains the richness of the original meaning. Uh, We're inclined to think that the good things of life come from our own making. But in reality, we know that they come from the grace of God. Ultimately, they come from the hand of God. And we've been witness uh, to so much of that in the last 13 years uh, in the life of this congregation, as many of you know. We may well say, well, we did this or we did that. And, you know, we we were working hard over here. But I think we all know when it comes to the bottom line. I think we all know that it's been grace all the way. And that's why it's been such a thrill. It has been God's grace and it continues to be His grace as God uh, places us so pivotally in this community. And it's grace all the way as we launch a brand new church plant called Southwest Community Church. Doesn't have a great ring to it, Southwest Community Church. He called us. He will be with us. Uh, This is his work. And by his grace, he will enable us to make a difference in another community as Southwest Community Church launches in just a few months. Grace. Grace. It's a word that gets used in different contexts. Uh, You may gather around your table this evening and and before supper or dinner, whatever you call it, someone says grace. Uh, It's a prayer of thanks for the provision of our daily needs. We simply call it grace. Would someone say grace this evening? Or a composer of music may add grace notes to the score. Those are kind of the extra notes that add a little flair and richness to the song. It's called the grace notes. And they're the notes that kind of bring the song to life. Some publishers use the term gracing. They have a policy of gracing. If I sign up for 12 issues of the magazine, I might receive a few extra copies after my subscription has expired. They're gracing me. They're coaxing me. That's not too far away from the meaning of grace. Grace. 
What a word. Yes, perhaps the last best word. What could be better uh, when we're struggling? Uh, What could be better when we are wounded, when we feel rejected, than the word grace? The world is short on grace. There are times when it feels like it would only take one little match to light a fuse to blow up this planet. I mean, it feels that volatile at times. We say the world is a powder keg. Last week, the Coptic church in Cairo was bombed, uh, killing about 20 people. And Tadras, who is our translator uh, for the Syrian friends that have come here, and uh, and you have seen him here at church, Tadras uh, lost a number of uh, close friends in the bombing of that church in Cairo. What tragedies this week in Aleppo, again this week and again, and just when you think peace is on its way and then there's a double cross and there's tragedy again. And our role as a church is to pronounce with the Apostle Paul that the gospel is a gospel of God's grace. Paul says, but I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself if only I may finish my course and the ministry that I receive from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. The gospel of the grace of God. Now, the good news of, the, of God's grace. What does that look like today? What's the church to be known for? I see us as dispensers. We are dispensers of grace. We are those who point to the grace of God. I like Gordon MacDonald's word, the world can do almost anything as well or better than the church. You need not be a Christian to build houses, feed the hungry, or heal the sick. There is only one thing the world cannot do. It cannot offer grace. Where else can the world go to find grace? And I kind of smiled as I read the comment uh, this week that a veterinarian can learn a lot about a dog owner he, he has never met by just observing the dog. I suppose, I suppose they get to know how relaxed the dog is, how trusting, how obedient. And that, of course, says a lot about the owner of the dog. But the real question is, What does the world learn about God by watching his followers on this earth? So when I thought of the gift of grace, I thought of the reality of the world that we live in. And and these are some of the barriers that we're up against. As I talk to my neighbor, for example, he tells me that he has no time of day for the Christian faith. He has no time of day for the church. Because he tells me something has happened in his life to make him feel that way. That at one time as a young boy, he was pretty active in the church. But no longer. Well, what does he need to see from me? Above all, he needs to see grace in my life. He needs to see grace. And there needs to be a little bit of grace for one another as Christians as well. We want to grow and put our roots down as followers of Christ. Do we do it perfectly? No. Do we make mistakes? Yes. 
lots of them. So we need to give grace to one another because we're all on a journey, because we're all growing. What's the slogan? Be patient because God's not finished with me yet. So I'm reminding myself and I'm reminding you this, this Sunday of learning to grow in this thing called grace. Learning to be aware of how to connect with a world that needs Jesus and not make the chasm any greater than it needs to be. How can I be a grace giver? How can I say what I need to say and not personally create distance? Now, I know clearly the message of the gospel does cut a line through families. It does cut a line through society. It cuts a line through our friends because it is good news and you can, you can accept it or you can receive it or, or you can reject it. And, and Jesus did say, if they hated me, they'll also hate you. But as long as it's the gospel that's doing the dividing and not me, that's my concern. So how did Jesus handle this? Well, verse 14 says, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. John 1 is the story of Christmas. And the one who had been existing throughout eternity past would come to this world, would be reduced to an embryo, would be reduced to a fetus, to a baby. And verse 10 of John 1 says that he came into the world, the very world he created, but the world didn't recognize him. He wasn't what they expected. He wasn't what they expected. What did they expect? They expected a mighty ruler, perhaps. They expected someone brandishing a sword. They expected an Alexander the Great. They expected one who would dominate the world, one who would conquer the enemies, one who would set up control right here on earth, and he would truly be the Messiah. And everything would go his way. But he didn't come like that. So they weren't ready for how he might come. They were looking for a fastball, but he sent them a slider, and they missed it. He came speaking grace. He came very ordinary, a loving, gracious man with 12 guys tagging behind him who loved him dearly. But his own did not receive him. The leaders those in the know, the rabbis, the muckety-muck of the day, they completely missed it. Who is this guy that says that the Father and I are one? But some did get it. Verse 12, But to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. There were some who understood who Jesus was. And by the way, that's, that's the way it is. And that's the way it has been throughout generations. God's work will always be handled by a minority. Next time you kind of feel that you're all alone in your journey, you're in good company. 
Rarely is the majority ever right, especially in the area of being faithful and committed to Christ and understanding who he is. But to all who believed him, to all who welcomed him, to all who accepted him, he gave the right to become, listen, children, children of God. Have you welcomed him? Have you received him? Do you know who he really is? Some people take a good long while to ponder that question. I mean, it takes some people months. And it takes some people years. Often people have to go through the depth of difficulty and loss and struggle. That they see that they can't make it on their own. And sometimes lives get shipwrecked and they crash onto the sandbars of brokenness. Lives are hurting and our sin and our brokenness is overwhelming and we wonder where is the reason to go on and what hope do I have and how do I make sense of all of this? And it's in the depth of our despair that we find this wonderful word called grace. We find the good news of the grace of God, the good news of the grace of God. But in the end, we all have to come to see that our need is so great. And the only answer to our sin and our shame and our guilt is, is the grace of God, that undeserved favor of God that he shines upon us and he, he gifts us with because he wants to. But to all who believed and accepted him, he gave the right to become children of God. Oh, does it mean we stop sinning? No. No, no. We, we need grace all along the way right to the day we die. We don't suddenly become great models of perfection. It, it simply means that the grace of God is at work in our lives. And through his grace, we come to know the Savior and we come to walk the journey. And verse 14, isn't it a great verse? We've come to love the way Eugene Peterson phrases it. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood we saw the glory with our own eyes, the one-of-a-kind glory, like father, like son, generous inside and out, true from start to finish. We've seen his glory, John says, the glory of the one and only son. What was that glory that shone in Jesus, which probably everybody saw as they interacted with him and as they, as they walked with him and as they got to know him, they saw that glory. Well, we don't have to guess. John tells us exactly, he was full of grace and he was full of truth. And grace and truth, that's the glory of God. Grace and truth, that's the glory of God. I read the story of a grandma who wanted her grandson to attend Sunday school. So one Sunday she arranged to pick him up and bring him to Sunday school with her. And on the way home, she was anxious to hear what he had to say about his Sunday school experience. So she asked him, how did things go this morning? And he thought for a moment, and then he said to her, Grandma, what's so great about Jesus? The teacher talked a lot about Jesus this morning, and he really thought Jesus was great. So what is so great about him? And hearing this, the grandma said, I, I thought, you know, that is what Christmas is all about, telling our children and telling our grandchildren what is so great about Jesus, who he is, 
full of love, full of forgiveness, full of grace. And one of the really great things is that he is full of grace. He, he is, and he's willing to dispense that to all of us. He's full of grace. He's amazingly approachable. It's inspirational to find people in our journey who are really down-to-earth people. People that we look up to. People of renown. That they're approachable. That they're really part of everyday life. Abraham Lincoln was known for his leadership in, dividing, in uniting a divided nation. And what the people loved about Lincoln was his down-to-earth nature. Because he identified with common people. He was approachable. Carl Sandburg, in his biography of Lincoln, tells how on certain days each month, the people were invited to the White House to bring their concerns to the president. And the people came because they were convinced that the president cared about them. It was Lincoln who said, God must have loved the common people because he made so many of them. Above all, he was approachable and he had time for them. Desmond Tutu is a brilliant Anglican bishop in South Africa. He could have withdrawn to the ivory towers of academia, and even there he could have gained notoriety. But the world respects this man because of his willingness to be a down-to-earth bishop who stood with blacks in Soweto until apartheid was finally overcome. Albert Schweitzer, in a sense, was a highbrow kind of guy. He had earned a doctor of philosophy. He had medical degrees, as well as being an authority on Bach and a master at the organ. The world appreciated him, but not just for his intellectual capacity, but being so down to earth in his servanthood to the people of Africa. The world's memorable people are not only talented, but down to earth and approachable. And in Christ, God is approachable. How would you ever get to know God? How would you ever know what he's like? But in Christ, God is approachable. It was by the incarnation that God came to this earth, becoming accessible to all of us. So this text, John 1.14, about the word becoming flesh and dwelling among us with grace and truth, is often heard... But sometimes we miss the most basic truth of all. We sometimes miss the simple fact that God is so down to earth that God would come to us as, as human and, and he would come on, on our human terms and ordinary terms and we are astonished at God's availability. You might have heard the story of a mother who was putting her little daughter to bed in the midst of a, thermo, uh, of a thunderstorm. And she told her daughter that she did not need to worry or be frightened because her mom and dad were just right in the next room in the living room. And also that God was with her. And the girl replied to her mother, Mommy, but when it thunders that way, I want somebody who has skin on. And that simple story, in essence is the truth of the text. That the invisible spirit of God did clothe himself in skin and flesh and blood and came to dwell among us with grace, in grace, and in truth. 
Jesus came into the world. He was completely on mission. The creator became the created. But what enhanced his message was the way he lived. That he lived as a man full of grace and truth. And you have to notice how John uses the word full. Full is quite a descriptive word. It's an interesting picture. What does the glory of God look like? It's sometimes really, really, really big. It's like a picture of Jesus overflowing with grace. So if you have a container as big as Jesus and it's full of grace and truth, that's a lot of grace. That's a lot of grace. The glory of God in, in Jesus did not come to consume us, but rather the glory came full of grace and truth. Jesus came pouring out his grace and yet not compromising his truth. Now, I expect there's a reason why John says grace and truth rather than truth and grace. The order is important. That order is important as we live out our lives in the world. Maybe the perception would change in our world if we started with grace. I mean, he could have come a different way. He could have decided to become flesh and blood and come among us as a judge or as an executioner. He could have. He could have said, my patience has run out. There's no more grace. I'm done. I've worked with this planet for centuries and we're not getting it, so time's up. I'm coming as a judge. We know one day he will come as a judge, but he didn't this time. Christmas is not about him coming as a judge. Far from it. John 3.17 says God sent his son into the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. How did he come? He came with the glory of God all around him. And what did it look like? It looked like a man full of grace and full of truth. It was not a sentimental grace. It was not a, a, a wish-washy grace. It was a costly grace, as Bonhoeffer, the German pastor and theologian, termed it. It was a costly grace. It was a grace that was paired with truth. And where is this grace going to lead Jesus? It's going to lead him to the truth. And what is the truth? The truth is the cross. So, so, the, so the journey of, of God to earth through Jesus is going to be filled with grace, but it's also going to be filled with truth, and the grace is going to lead him to the truth, which is the cross. God has to deal with our sin. God is holy and faithful. God just can't say, well, let's let bygones be bygones. No, God must respond to our sin, to the fact that his name has been trampled, to the fact that his purposes have been rejected. And yet he responds so graciously, so full of grace. So how does God deal with our sin? Well, he clothes himself with flesh so he can die. Wow, that was what it was all about. He, he takes on human wrapping. He comes in human flesh so he can die. The reason the word became flesh is that, so that when the Son of God goes to the cross and dies, grace could abound and truth could be upheld. Jesus gets punished and we get the grace. Wow. Grace and truth. 
So, what do we learn about touching our world today? Three things. Number one, be clear on our mission. Be clear on our mission. Why are we here? What is our mission? The mission was very clear for Jesus. He came to be redemptive. He came to forgive. He came to reach a people who didn't know him. We need to continually remind ourselves of of why God has touched our lives. He has brought us into his family, and we're on his mission, and we receive his commission to go to the next community and to go around the world and share the good news. Are you clear about your mission? Number two, approach the mission like Jesus did, full of grace and truth. What does that look like? Jesus came as a servant. How can we come as servants? How can we serve our world? How can we enter into this world and be the hands and feet of Jesus? How do we model Philippians chapter 2? Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a servant. Wouldn't the world respond more effectively if we came alongside of them? and serve them, and encourage them, and bless them? Do they know our hearts? Do they know that we're for them and not against them? Would it break down a ton of barriers if we figured out how to serve our neighbors, how to bless them, how to encourage them, how to support them? Thirdly, put grace first, and then truth. They do go together. The blessing of effective ministry is being a man or woman or a young person or a child who is full of grace and full of truth. Imagine living in your community as a grace-filled person. Most everyone highly respects someone who puts together grace and truth, love and care, encouragement uh, alongside of their own convictions. We all have our convictions And that is truth, as we understand it. But truth never needs to be a hammer. When truth is combined with grace, it's very powerful. So the order is important. Grace and truth. So you will be with people this Christmas who may not be too sure about who you are. And maybe the barriers will be up. Break down the barriers with the grace that God has put in your life. Your love, your heart, your understanding of mission, your servant attitude in the world. Be courageous with truth, but say it with grace. Jesus knocked down all the barriers and he paved the way for us to come to the Father. What a model for us. What an amazing model. His body was placed on a cross It was his love and his grace that kept him on that cross. His blood was spilled for us so he could take our sin and forgive us and heal us and restore us. Oh, I need this grace. The gift of grace. Let's stand together. Jesus, 
full of grace and truth. Jesus, full of love and forgiveness. Jesus, full of joy and peace. We are so grateful that you are approachable, that now our Father in heaven is approachable through you. Uh, you are our, our awesome Savior. Lord, we thank you uh, for today, again, for who you are. And you remind us to grow in your love and your grace so that our lives will be on mission each and every day. So we love you this morning. We thank you for your call. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for all that you have done for us in Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.